Ian Lake. It's 8 o'clock. Good morning. This is Northern Light for Tuesday, October 10th. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. Forest Rangers created a foundation to raise money for gear they say they need that the state is not supplying them with. The foundation is not saying, you failed us and we have to now fix this. We're saying, okay, this is a very challenging heavy lift to properly outfit these widely diverse forest rangers doing widely diverse things. Let's step in and help out and try to meet these needs so that rangers aren't getting bitter or being under-equipped. It's been a year since New York legalized the recreational use and sale of marijuana. The rollout has been rocky. Karen DeWitt sits down with the head of the state's Office of Cannabis Management, who said it will eventually be a success. And a new art exhibit in Long Lake has been installed outdoors along nature trails on the town beach. All this month, you can enjoy views of Long Lake in person and through an artist's eyes. One of the scenes where the artist Barbara Keogh, her painting is of Shaw Pond, and we put that at Shaw Pond. But then other areas like the painting has nothing to do with what's there. All of that and more is coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by Long Run Wealth, an SEC-registered investment advisor in Lake Placid, providing comprehensive wealth management, retirement, and financial planning solutions, longrunwealth.com, and Adirondack Land Trust with 27,000 acres of forests, farmlands, waters, and wild places conserved since 1984. Adirondack Support also comes from listeners just like you who become sustainers of North Country Public Radio and who tune into Northern Light every morning. Good morning, I'm Monica Sandreski, and today is day two of our fall fundraiser. And to tell us more, Brian Mann joins us. Good morning, Brian. Hi, Monica. It's so lovely to talk to you. Thanks for uh, having me on. Thanks to Todd as well. This is great. And you listening, ncpr.org slash give or one 877 Monica, I have to say one of the things that is, you know, this is probably this hour is probably my favorite hour of radio in all of mm. the country. Northern Light is the sort of the way that stories get told about my home. I, I just love listening to you and Todd in the morning. I love your conversations. Um, it's, it's a joy and I think it's worth people supporting. Yes, thank you so much for uh, for saying that. I've got to say, I think it's my favorite hour on NPR, throughout, on NPR throughout the country and throughout the week too. Yeah. It, you know, folks listening, I I hope that, you know, you understand how special this really is. You know, when you heard just the way Todd and Monica were talking about what's coming up in the next hour, talking about really crucial kind of life and death issues like the forest rangers and their equipment, talking about art out in the community, um, things about the economy. This is a show that weaves together our very rural area. Sometimes it's hard for us to talk to each other and to stay connected over this vast area, especially as the weather turns more difficult and we're kind of huddled around our wood stoves. And so this is a moment when you can really make a big difference. Your action at ncpr.org slash give or one 888 6277. You connect us. You support this important moment in our day uh, where we talk and we hear conversations. You be next. Thanks very much. 
This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. New York forest rangers work in some dangerous and difficult conditions. They fight wildfires, lead rescues overnight, and in the dead of winter, they repel from helicopters to airlift injured hikers off mountains. But some rangers say the state isn't giving them enough gear to do their jobs. As Emily Russell reports, a new foundation aims to raise money to fill those gaps. Forest ranger Andrew Lewis has a lot of gear, stuff that's meant to keep him safe when his job gets dangerous, like different kinds of helmets. There's a helmet for fire, there's a helmet for rope rescue, there's a helmet for swift water, there's a helmet for ATV operations, helmet for the snowmobile, um, so lots of helmets. Those are all helmets issued by New York State. Rangers also are issued jackets, a hiking pack, a headlamp, micro spikes, and crampons. Lewis works in the Adirondack High Peaks. He remembers what it was like graduating from the Ranger Academy back in 2016. At first, you're given a lot of gear, right? And you come out of the gate as a new Ranger, you're like, man, I just got a lot of gear. This is awesome. Then you start getting into what you're really doing, and you start realizing, man, I need, I need that really bad. Like mountaineering boots, packable hip waders, extra puffy jackets. And rangers not only have to think about gear for themselves, they also have to think about the people they're helping in the woods. People who may be hurt, hypothermic, or hungry. So here's, here's a backpack. I've got quite a few, of course, because they all have a different purpose and a different season and everything. Um, I've met Lewis outside his home in the Adirondacks. He's pulled packs and bins of gear from his ranger truck and laid it all out on his lawn. He grabs one of his packs and starts pulling out gear. A couple extra headlamps. We always have a bunch of headlamps because we're always handing them out. Because we're often helping people that don't have them, right? Freeze-dried meals, some fuel, How much of this stuff is, like, would the state buy for you? Uh, None of, I bought all this stuff that you see here. He's also used his own money to buy multiple sleeping bags, skis, snowshoes, heavy-duty mittens, and lots of warm layers. Lewis says he learned the hard way that he needs to carry extra puffy coats in his pack. And again, not only for himself, but for folks he may be rescuing. Lewis remembers a rescue when he swept through his only jacket. And I'm standing there freezing, going, okay, I know what I got to buy now. And guess what? That night, I'm on the internet shopping. And that's a daily occurrence for a new ranger. I spoke with a few new rangers on background for this story. One said they've spent about $4,000 of their own money on gear so far. Another said they had to buy a $400 pair of insulated mountaineering boots. That far surpasses the state's annual boot stipend of $150. So Lewis and two other rangers have taken matters into their own hands. They started the Forest Ranger Foundation, a nonprofit to raise money for gear and training. Lewis says it's a way to fill the gap from what the state provides to what rangers say they really need. The foundation is saying we're here to relieve the burden of some of that, right? Like it's a need. It's frustrating that it can't be met. But there's another way. They launched the foundation back in August. At the time, their boss, DEC Commissioner Basil Sagos, applauded their work. I couldn't be more proud of the rangers starting a foundation. I mean, the state police have a foundation as well. Um, That's really important for the sort of sustainment of the ranger uh, family for years to come. The police foundation funds trainings as well as college scholarships and relief aid for trooper families. The ranger foundation will fund trainings, but it's also focused a lot on getting them more gear, better gear. 
But Sagos said back in August that's not necessary. He said Rangers shouldn't need to turn to the foundation for gear. We absolutely have the resources. I've told uh, my command staff, get them whatever they need, whether it's you know new boots, clothing, um, sleeping bags. That's certainly their goal. It's not possible. Um, it just isn't. Adirondack Forest Ranger Andrew Lewis again. He said he's tried to work with management on buying gear and partnering with outdoor brands, but it's really complicated and bureaucratic. Every one of the 155 rangers around New York State is different. They have different needs and desires. They work in different conditions. And Lewis says state protocols make even the simplest purchase into a complex or even impossible one. The foundation is not saying you've failed us and we have to now fix this. We're saying, okay, this is a very challenging heavy lift to properly outfit these widely diverse forest rangers doing widely diverse things. Let's step in and help out and try to meet these needs so that rangers aren't getting bitter or being under-equipped. Since the launch of the foundation in mid-August, Lewis says they've raised about $7,500, though he says they haven't really had time to do much marketing or outreach. They've been really busy with rescues lately. But Lewis is hopeful. He says their target donors are folks who know how important it is to have well-equipped rangers. If you're somebody that recreates, if you like to push the limits in the woods, you want to know that the best possible responders are coming for you with the best possible equipment. And the best possible training. Lewis's goal is that the foundation will fund trainings that will make New York State forest rangers among the most skilled search and rescue teams in the world. Emily Russell, North Country Public Radio, Keene. Listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Coming up, we'll hear about a new outdoor art exhibit in Long Lake along nature trails in the town beach. That conversation coming up in just a few minutes right here on Northern Light. Right here on NCPR, which is where you come to satisfy your curiosity, to hear contextual reporting, and to connect the dots about issues in our community like ranger gear. Now is the time to support North Country Public Radio. We're in day two of our fall fundraiser. Keep this community resource strong for years to come. Give now online at ncpr.org slash give or call 877 877- Three eight eight six two seven seven. That's eight seven seven three eight eight six two seven seven. And thank you so much for your support. Music by Dan Bergren out of Boston Spa. And this hour's programming is supported by Fisher, Bissett, Muldowney, and McArdle, attorneys and counselors at law, with offices in Malone, Tupper Lake, and Saranac Lake, 800-941-5001. And Adirondack Foundation, making grants to nonprofits that address community issues of childcare, attainable housing, career pathways, basic needs, and more. 
AdirondackFoundation.org. A building in Long Lake that suffered severe flood damage just months ago burned down in a fire on Monday. The garage and apartment building was next door to Haas's Country Corner Store in the center of Long Lake. Police stopped traffic through the town for a few hours on Monday while crews battled the blaze. Photos show the building engulfed in flames and later burned to the ground. The building was undergoing repairs after it was badly damaged by flooding in Long Lake in early July. The ground floor garage was used as a storage facility for a nearby antique shop. There's an apartment on the second floor. A freshman at SUNY Plattsburgh was saved by her classmates during a hockey scrimmage last month. According to the Plattsburgh Press Republican, Jenna Firevid was skating at the ice rink on campus when she collapsed. Three other students on the ice started chest compressions on Firevid, who has a heart syndrome that can cause sudden fainting, seizures, or even death. The men did CPR on her until EMS arrived and took her to the hospital in Plattsburgh. According to the Press Republican, Firevid said she was grateful for their life-saving actions. The SUNY Plattsburgh president described the actions of her fellow students as heroic. New Yorkers are generally more pessimistic about their personal finances. That's the upshot of a poll released yesterday by the Siena College Research Institute. It shows that consumer sentiment in the third quarter across the state fell compared to the second quarter, although the index was slightly above a survey on consumer confidence for the nation as a whole. Institute Director Don Levy says inflation is likely a big factor in these numbers, particularly when New Yorkers head to the supermarket. Almost 80% of New Yorkers say that the cost of food is having a serious negative impact on their finances. So that's been lingering. And you add to that this now this growing sentiment that it's just not a time to make a purchase. So it does look like inflation continues to have a, uh, a dramatic toll. The latest Siena poll also shows that fewer New Yorkers are planning to buy expensive items like cars, furniture, and appliances compared to the previous quarterly survey. It's been years since New York legalized the recreational use and commercial sale of marijuana, but the launch of legal cannabis stores around the state has been rocky. Karen DeWitt spoke with Chris Alexander, the executive director of the New York Office of Cannabis Management, who believes the state's first in the nation experiment with social equity will eventually be a success. New York's gone further than other states to try to right the wrongs created by the years-long prohibition on cannabis. First preference for growing and retail licenses were given to people who've been directly impacted through a marijuana-related criminal conviction as long as they can show they've run a successful business for two years. But the path has been anything but easy, and two years after the program began, just a fraction of the anticipated retail stores have opened. Progress on most of the social equity license applications have been halted due to a court injunction. On October 4th, New York opened up the retail store licenses to anyone who wants one and can qualify. The Office of Cannabis Management's Chris Alexander says social equity groups, including service-disabled veterans and distressed farmers, will still be given priority, though. We'll continue to work 
to make sure that those who were impacted by prohibition, either through a conviction or or some other uh, impact, you know, have space to participate. Now, the, the retail store openings have been rocky, I guess, to say the least. You're far behind schedule. I think there's just 24 shops now. There's supposed to be like 400. We mentioned the court injunction that's halted well, part well, of it. I, I, I'd I clarify just, that. I'd okay. clarify just in terms of, you know, what's supposed to be open. Again, you know, just like any business, uh, you know, business operators have to find appropriate locations, build them out, design them. That all takes time, right? What we found in tracking uh, you know, our operators from licensing to opening is that it's about seven months or so, uh, that it takes for folks to kind of really get going. Now we anticipated being a little further, but as you pointed to, uh, the injunction did stop that progress. And so we have a bunch of licensees that now, uh, you know, have been, are ready to open now because the time has, has elapsed. They've had the time to, uh, to do what they needed to do, but they're, they are still being held up by the injunction. So we're optimistic that we get through that process and we're able to clear them all to open. Yeah, but even so, it's like far below what the initial expectations are. We've heard from a number of growers, and many of them aren't wealthy, that have been unable to sell their product, and they're going bankrupt. Some people in the industry are so upset and discouraged that they've called for your resignation. They think you should step down. What, what do you think about that? You think you're still the best person to do this job, and you know how do you gain the trust back from some of these people who have become disenchanted? Well, I think you got to start from the beginning. You know, we are the first state uh, that decided not to rely on existing operators to start our market, right? Most states, not most states, all states uh, decided to start their market with those who were most well-capitalized and well-resourced. We took a chance on New York small farmers. We gave them opportunities to run, uh, to grow the first crop and to build uh, what will be uh, the most successful cannabis market in the country. Um, there has definitely been frustrations in, roll, in rolling out retail. This is a supply chain that we're creating. And so if one end is messed up or one end is slowed up, uh, it impacts everybody. Uh, what I would say, you know, is, you know, my clear instruction, my clear mandate has been uh, to ensure that we're building and designing a market that's accessible and that is not easily uh, subject to monopolization, which is what we've seen across the country. And so far, we've done that. You know, it has been tough. And so I'm absolutely sensitive to the challenges that our farmers have faced. But what I have also to say is they've been incredibly resilient. Um, they grew amazing products. And those products really became, uh, you know, super high quality products in the dispensaries that we did have oper- operational. Um, and <laughs> the dispensaries that we have been able to open uh, have shown the demand for high quality cannabis in New York is uh, very high because those dispensaries are performing incredibly well. Um, and so it's, we got a snippet. We've got a little preview of what New York's cannabis market can be. And I'm excited to keep working to uh, to bring the vision uh, to light. Sounds like you're staying. You're committed to this. Yeah, I'll be here. Alexander also reacted to a report by the website New York Cannabis Insider that found the state's supply of legal cannabis product, all of it grown outdoors, has traces of toxic heavy metals as well as unsafe levels of mold and yeast. He says that study is full of inaccuracies, and he says that New York has some of the most stringent product testing in the nation. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt.
You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandresti. Coming up in just a minute, enjoy views of Long Lake in person and through an artist's eyes in a new outdoor exhibit. Then stick around after the show for Bird Note just ahead at 842. But first, Todd has a look at the weather for us. Clouds and uh Partly to mostly cloudy skies, maybe an occasional shower today. Highs in the 50s, near 60. South winds 10 to 15 miles per hour. Lows overnight tonight near 40. And uh, maybe some scattered rain this evening as well. And then a chance to scattered showers Wednesday and Thursday. Partly cloudy skies on Friday. Showers again on Saturday and Sunday, very likely. With uh, daytime highs the rest of the week in the upper 50s. Nighttime lows in the upper 30s, low 40s. Uh, right now in Canton, uh, we have clouds, 48 degrees. Perfect weather for supporting North Country Public Radio. And with us this morning during uh, Northern Light is NPR's Brian Mann. Hey, Brian. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks again for having me on. And thanks to everybody who's calling in or going online uh, to support. It's really quick and easy to do. one 388 6277 And I still know that phone number by heart. <laughs> or you can go to ncpr.org slash give. Thanks to good friends Elizabeth Lee from Westport. Thank you, Elizabeth. Susan Waters from Saranac Lake. Susan, thank you this morning. Diane Corvetti from Lake Pleasant. Really cool to have you with us. ncpr.org slash give. You know, the thing that is really magical, really, really magical about North Country Public Radio is that there's kind of this chemistry of it being a fragile and also a really tough thing. It's fragile because it takes all of us I give, you listening, you give, Todd and Monica, they give their passion, everybody's giving. And that's, you know, we have to, you know, pledge drive, you know, donation festival after festival, we have to put that together. It feels a bit like a tightrope walk. But the tough, cool, great part is that you come through. You say yes. And it's been going on. You know, I've been doing pledge drives here at NCPR for a quarter century now. And so, you know, it's proof that it works. It really does work. It's a beautiful way that you can make a big difference joining so many people who've done it. So, okay, you've heard those names. Your neighbors are doing it. You be next. ncpr.org slash give or one eight seven seven three eight eight six two seven seven. And thanks. Thanks so much for your support. ncpr.org slash give or, or toll-free 877-388-6277. Northern Light listeners, you are the best. A new art exhibit in Long Lake has been installed outdoors along nature trails in the town beach, the medical center, town hall. So all this month you can enjoy views of Long Lake in person and through an artist's eyes. Tim Helms, Long Lake Event Coordinator, says Art in Nature is an outdoor art installation featuring 11 local Long Lake artists, including local art students. He says by moving art into nature, the exhibition offers an unexpected perspective and connects human-made art to natural features in the environment. The idea was to draw people maybe away from or to some places they might not go to, especially if you're a second homeowner, that kind of thing. So they're all located well, um, prominently displayed, relatively speaking, um, on places that people 
walk by. So they're at our town beach. Um, we have a trail, like a nature trail in town that kind of connects two areas of our town. There's a couple on that, you know, places that people would be recreating, walking, walking the dog, those types of things. All of the other artists either are live in Long Lake, are from Long Lake originally, or are second homeowners in Long Lake. And you basically told them, here's a panel, go, go paint something. So there's like landscapes, yeah. there's wildlife, there's kind of a nice, nice variety. Exactly. And that was, um, that's what we really wanted to. So I did not want to give any of the artists any direction. I wanted them to be, you know, whatever their medium, most comfortable painting. The only that um, had to be used acrylic or oil paint because of the way we had to seal the panels. I think it's interesting that uh, Long Lake is such an, a beautiful spot in, in the Adirondacks to begin with. And so now you can be out for a hike or a walk and there's like this chance to take in the the natural scenery and then an artist's interpretation of of the outdoors yeah it's a little bit like a plain air type thing mm-hmm. in some of it because you know one of the scenes where the artist barbecue her painting is of shaw pond and we put that at shaw pond and so when you look at her panel it looks out over the and you can see like pretty much the exact same view she painted that from just her interpretation of the colors of the sky and that kind of thing. Um, but then other areas, like the painting has nothing to do with what's there. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, just showcasing a local artist. I think to uh, long lines of seeing art in nature as well, like, you know, there's a connectivity between getting people out. All of these panels you would walk to, you can drive to them, but all of them are like easily accessible within like kind of our downtown area. So if you want to, we have a little map. So if you want to do it as a day at your afternoon, you grab a coffee, kind of walk around for an hour, you could see all of them for the most part, hour and a half. The other thing that we thought was really important, too, is to show, like, kids from school that to be an artist, it doesn't have to be in some gallery in New York or Boston or whatever it is, that you can, you know, you can paint something and have an impact on your local community right there. Yeah, it's kind of like um, not all art is indoors in a, in a gallery or a museum. Sometimes art is outside. <laughs> Exactly. And we just want to showcase that, like, you, you know, if this is a path you want to go down, or you just, even if you don't want to be a professional artist, you just want to keep painting and keep working on stuff and put it at your house or in your friend's house or whatever. You just want to showcase and you know, connect the community with artists as well. And they'll be up through the month of October. Is that the idea? Yeah. So it's actually the whole project kind of changed a little bit. My initial idea was to get these panels and I would just kind of leave them up permanently in maybe a year, two years, see how long they lasted, depending on the ceiling and everything. And then when we started to see the quality of the panel coming back, we immediately decided like, we have to try to preserve these a little better. We, you know, people put hard work into this and the quality was just so, so high. And so we ended up framing all the pan, building frames and framing all of them. And then next summer, when we put them up, I will rotate where all the panels are. So next year, it'll be, even if you, you only saw seven of the 11 this summer, you might see the other four next year in the same location you saw one. So we're going to rotate where they all are and give, you know, because some of them are very prominently displayed. Some of them are a little bit off the beaten path. We want to give all the artists a fair shake, but also just keep it interesting and, you know, have people want to go check it out again. Sounds like you could, you know, this is something you could do like every couple of years or something. Yeah, the the long term of the project is kind of unfors- undetermined at this point. This is the first time we did it. You know, we just want to do, have another thing to do in town that kind of showcases some town land that we have that people, we want people to recreate on, whether that's, you know, our new hiking and biking trails at Mount Sabatis or the nature trail or whatever the case is. We want to showcase 
local artists, which we had an incredible buy-in from all the people that we asked. We also want to help connect the people that are professional artists, or maybe they do commissions, or they sell their work in farmers markets and our craft fairs and whatnot. And they, you know, we put their panel out. Those ones are the ones we want to make sure we have their website, their email, their contact mm-hmm. information on to try to connect people that might want to commission something. We were really happy to partner with the school on this too to get them involved. Whenever we can get the kids involved with our projects, that's always good for everybody. Yeah, I don't. I think it's something we could kind of redo every couple of years. We could we could have a theme some years. We could have not a theme. I think the the long term sites of the project are uh, broad, but I think really exciting to see where this can go in the future. Tim Helms is Long Lake Events Coordinator and uh, directing that Art in Nature project. And you can check out samples of some of the art on our website at ncpr.org. My favorite piece is the panel done by the students at Long Lake Central School in grades 3 through 12, a fish painting. you got to check that out right now on the front page of our website, ncpr.org. And Long Lake listeners, how about a little NCPR love this morning? Yes, we want to hear a little bit of love from the from our Long Lake listeners. Give now online at ncpr.org slash give or call 877-388-6277. Todd, I love so much how we talked about, you know, beautiful art. It's not just confined to a gallery. We see it throughout our community on murals. We do have a mural project going on that you can find out more about at ncpr.org. It's the these conversations, these projects that really connect all of our far-flung communities from Long Lake to Malone down to Lowville. And this is why you contribute, because these conversations are incredibly important. You're saying, I want them flowing through the airwaves in my community. Give now to support it at ncpr.org slash give or call 877-388-6277. And all the way out in Westport, Brian Mann is here to tell us more. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, everybody. NCPR.org slash give one eight seven seven three eight eight six two seven seven. One of the things that has really just